Listen to Natty News. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Natty News, the nattiest news show in the world. My name is Anwar, and I'm joined with future physiotherapist Pat Wu. Pat, how are you doing, man? I know you've been drowned in those exams. How have those been for you? Uh, I'm feeling good. I am seven of eight done. I did four in the last two days, um, but but I, I think I passed them all. So that's that is the key. <laughs> oh, dude, that is rough, man. When I hear that, it takes me back to when I was back in engineering and we'd have like those eight midterms and you just be like, this is too much. Like I'm going to have to fail one of these. Yeah, I'm just happy I didn't fail any of them. So that, that's good. And um, so I didn't worked out all week and then I went to the gym last night and I, I hit a snatch PR. I did 118 kilos so or 260 pounds. So really, really happy about that. Nice, man. Well, I actually also hit a PR. So for the listeners on YouTube who can see us, you might see me wearing the first official Natty News t-shirt. And man, Pat, I'm not kidding you. I went to the gym wearing the Natty News t-shirt. I threw on five wheels on the bench. We're talking about 495 pounds. Dude, I repped it for 30 times. (laughs) I'm I'm not even okay. joking right now. I did 495 for 30 with the Nine News T-shirt, and like I took it off. I tried to do one, and I crushed my septum. Like my whole chest is snapped up from that. But that Nine <laughs> News T-shirt, man, that is more effective than any PED, road slingshot, anything you got, man. Like it's gonna be banned soon. So uh, definitely, when we launch those, you have to cop yourself maybe 20 of them. At least twenty of them. That that's that's uh, good to hear. And yeah, oh man, I'm excited to get mine and pick mine up soon. And we'll be wearing this at every podcast after that. Oh man, dude, you're gonna be wearing it, and you'll be ready for the Olympic team in no question. Natty News is gonna be banned from the Olympics. With how many gains you get from this extra natty enhancing boost cloth material we developed? That's what it is. <laughs> sweet, sweet. Uh, but all anyway. right, what are we talking about today? Well, so again, throughout the like last few episodes, as the listeners know, we've been doing your kind of like whole patch physio fa- fun facts where you kind of drop some knowledge on us. And so we were talking before about what you've been learning is something that I think is super important that doesn't get talked about enough, and that is with about pain. At- about kind of not only the pain but as well about strange and distinguishing the difference between them also about like pain tolerance going through strange and injuries and i think that's something that people don't really talk about enough and there's a whole misconception about you know what no pain no gain and i want to get to the bottom of this pat i want to know how hard how much you really have to suffer in the gym to make gains it seems like you've studied a lot about it so i guess to start off is I guess maybe a very high-level question is, Pat, why do we need to feel pain in the gym? Why does the gym have to be suffering? Yeah, it's a very interesting question. So we let's let's always start with the definition. Um, so, you know, pain, according to, like, the most recent research, well, we call pain, like, a, it's a sensory or emotional experience that may or may not be associated with tissue damage. So that's really important. So, like, just... Because I think, you know, it sounds very simple, but everyone thinks about it, they associate with tissue damage, right? Not necessarily. And so that starts to answer your question that, you know, maybe we don't always have to be in 
a lot of pain to get results because the does the pain the definition of pain is not a sensory experience that results in massive natty gains, right? So I think it's it's uh, for those of you who like go to the gym and they're just always looking to be in pain and being burning. That's maybe not necessary because how you actually make progress in the gym is to progressive overload, is to train close to your maximum, train with intensity. Um, but I don't think you always have to put yourself in like you know super quad drop sets, like where your biceps are burning, and and you definitely should not put yourself in joint pain in order to build the muscle or get stronger. So I actually want to ask about that because you're mentioning that pain is uh, a sensory feeling we get when we may or may not have damaged tissue. But now it, when we talk about damaged tissue, are we including like the breakdown of muscle fibers to uh, gain muscle? Like, is that considered a pain? Like when we get that burning sensation, we do like a quadruple drop set. Like, would that be indicated as a pain sense? Yeah, you can, you can definitely have... Like that, that kind of pain, yeah, any type of generalized tissue damage or no tissue damage can give you pain. And that's the complicated thing, right? Like, for example, people who are, um, like some people are just very, a lot more sensitive to like negative perception. So yeah, like that can be considered pain. Um, pricking your finger can be considered pain. Like, yeah, any type of tissue damage can give you pain or not pain. It can give you no pain. All right, so you kind of like jumped the gun and you were mentioning about how like you don't really think you need to go through that much pain to make gains because as you said, the most important thing is progressive overload and as well, pain doesn't always indicate that there is um, uh, uh, tissue damage. Um, Exactly. And so, you know, the old uh, saying, no pain, no gain. And yeah. I think a lot of times people kind of get in that mentality of like, you need to suffer a bit in the gym. And I definitely yeah. feel that too. Like, I feel like, you know, you got to work hard in the gym. You got to get tired. You got to get muscles have to be tired. You got to feel that fire. Um, so why is that not entirely true? So why is it that you might not need to feel that insane burning sensation to make gains? Yeah. So because I, I think that, the the main reason is that pain is an unreliable narrator so mm-hmm. it it gives you a very generalized sense of some sort of you know unpleasant sensation but that unpleasant pleasant sensation like for example probably the most painful thing in the gym is to do like a, a drop set right um you know like finish a set take off weight do more take off weight do more like and you know what actually causes the most pain when you're doing that shoulder press drop set and you do that empty bar? Is that necessarily what's creating the most muscle breakdown or giving you the most progress? Not necessarily. And it's not always linear like that, right? If you just wanted to have pain, you know, do a CrossFit class that gets your heart rate up to 160 and you stay there for two hours, that is more painful than doing probably eight sets of three squats at 80%. But perhaps if you're looking to build your quads and glutes and get stronger, I would argue that eight sets of three was better than the CrossFit workout that had 500 reps of leg exercises but, and made the legs hurt. But that hurt was not, you know, in line with what you're looking for, right? Like it's endurance work almost a lot of the time that gives you that most pain. And if you're looking for strength or hypertrophy, those things don't necessarily align. 
See, and you bring up a good point with that, and it's something I've actually been curious about. Now, I like to do drop sets because, you know, I'm a bit of a meathead and I like that burning feeling and I feel like I'm doing work, even though you are probably going to show me that I'm not doing as much as I thought. Um, But the idea of like a drop set is like, for those who might not be familiar with it, let's say you're doing some bench press and let's say you're benching 135 pounds, you get 10 reps, then you drop the weight down to maybe 95 pounds and then you can get maybe another 10 reps and maybe you drop it to the bar to 45 pounds, you get another 10 reps. And so uh, at the very end, when you're just doing the bar, you get super um, fatigued and you get a lot of that burning sensation. You feel like you've really broken down the muscle. But I was kind of thinking, like, if you went and you just did 30 straight reps with, let's say, 80 pounds, you're going to kind of get that same feeling. But then when you do that, people are like, you're just doing endurance work. You're not building any muscle doing that. So it always made me kind of curious about why is it a drop set? You're building so much muscle, but you're doing 30 straight reps or you're not doing any building any muscle. You're just doing endurance work. Like, it always kind of confused me about how effective really are drop sets. Ah, well, that that's a great question. Now, now part of this is theoretical, so you scientists out there don't don't flock me on this. But let's go back a little bit to our knowledge of of physics, Anwar, which you have taught me everything I know about it. Um, you know, there's in order to build muscle, there there needs to be a cell signal in response to like in response to a stimulus. Like there, some stimulus went in, and and your cell signal was like, oh crap, we just got attacked we gotta we gotta level up basically right now if the stimulus level is too low so let's say 80 pounds was only 40 percent of your max your muscles like okay that kind of hurt but we're good we can handle 80 pounds now 135 maybe that was 75 to 80 percent that threshold used to be a, is usually around 70 percent of your max when you do that kind of weight your muscles uh in response will be like we have trouble you know, there are, we're being attacked by something way too strong. We need to level up. So that's some. That's why there's a difference there. You need to, at least, once in a while, work at those higher percentages in order to induce the maximum growth. Now, how a drop set works is, in my opinion, it's like you know when you're like grinding out and everyone's like one more, one more. It is probably good to do it, but if you don't, it's. I don't think it's the biggest deal in the world. A drop set extends the stress stimulus like it creates more blood flow to the area more blood flow does create more of a response um and it does uh potentially cause a little bit more micro tears in the muscle but that was a difference right because you already got that heavy range stimulus that's that main stimulus and the drop set is kind of icing on the cake right perhaps if you don't have time to do many sets that's good to create more um micro damage in a set amount of time Okay, so that makes a lot of sense. And so would you kind of say that like that signal, is that the key to creating muscle? Like, would you say that's more important than the micro tears? Um, it's, uh, so the pathway is sort of this. You work out, you create damage or mm-hmm. micro tears in a muscle. Um, and then what happens is step two is you actually get an inflammatory response. So you get inflammation. So this is why you shouldn't take anti-inflammatories after you work out. Because when you the first step is damage, then inflammation begins, and then repair happens. And lastly, it's called remodeling. So we think of like our, you know, our our structural model, right? Like, oh shit, we've been attacked. 
let's find help, let's make upgrades, and then you end up with the bigger, stronger muscle. So um, the damage pre is the precursor to the signal. Yeah. Okay. No, I understand. That makes sense. Yeah. It, and so the reason why, like most people say, the bodybuilding you should do like that eight to twelve, eight to fifteen rep range is because it's a heavy enough load within your body sending those signals. Like that's kind of the value of doing those heavier weights when doing any type of bodybuilding um, training, right? Exactly. Like exercise, exercise. All exercise is good, but if you have that specific goal of building muscle or strength, there's a threshold and. The theory is that if you don't reach that threshold, you're perhaps not causing enough to um, to initiate the signal, and and without the signal, you you might not be getting any any adaptation. And man, see, and that's why like the progression is so valuable for all your goals. Like even if you just want to look better, like you don't give a crap about being strong or anything. Yeah. It really does show that you do need to have that progression and weight to kind of send those signals to get that muscle engagement. Um, it's a little funny. I th have you ever seen those memes where it's like, oh no, I did 13 reps. Now I'm not going to make any gains. I did one yeah. too many. It has yeah. to be 8 to 12. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And it's like, hey, I think like, five six years ago i i would believe that too and then i think when you you know when and that's what we like to do here when we kind of break down this the science into what's practical it's like wait there's no stress it's like you're good but you do need to make sure you get a, a good enough stimulus that something happens for you oh man i remember seeing like this one like um meme or something where it was like okay if you're strength training you train between one to five reps if you're doing bodybuilding you do eight to twelve if you do six or seven you get nothing six to yeah. seven reps are useless <laughs> yeah actually when i when i became a trainer even in in my early years of kinesiology education that was written down and i was like so what happens at six to seven you i know. know what happens at what happens at 81 percent like What's going on? Like, does this, am I in no man's land? Like, what, how do I know what 80% is if I never worked out? There's a lot of things that, yeah, there's what the books tell you and then there's what's practical. Yeah, it's that forbidden zone. Once you get into those numbers, man, those are some forbidden, you actually lose gains at those reps. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. That's this is why you can't read, just read textbooks when you're trying to learn how to work out. All right. So let's get back to the idea of pain, though. So, what you're kind of saying is that like the key about gaining muscle, as we've talked about, is getting those signals and getting your body being like, oh, crap, um, we need to get stronger. We need to add on. So let's start putting some resources to fixing and building up. So that's all great. Um, and so the pain we feel, like that fire uh, burn we feel, comes from the micro tears that are breaking us down. So I guess my next question is like, could you still build muscle without feeling any of that burning sensation? And would it be still as optimal or would you get suboptimal gains by doing that? Yes. So the soreness that you feel is not necessarily um, correlated directly with, uh, with, with the amount of damage, right? So it's not like if you were in this much pain this workout, that doesn't mean you have that much more damage. It's, a lot of things are dependent on pain, right? Like, for example, I don't like Anwar, if you've ever had, like, if you've ever been in like a sport competition and you're really hyped, right? Like maybe your first BJJ competition, every little injury you had suddenly did not hurt, right? All of a sudden, yeah. right? Now, or 
you had a little injury and then you went to a massage or you or you did hot tub. Hurts less. Did you cure the injury? No. You just um, down-regulated the, the pain response uh, to your body. So um, a lot of factors uh, come into play there. Like some people are just naturally more anxious and they're they're more emotionally stimulated. Those people tend to feel more pain because it just they're just more aware of it. Whereas um, like I would uh, infer contact sport athletes just like a little scratch to them is literally nothing. Like they just, it just does not bother them at all, which is why uh, we talk about that pain as an unreliable narrator. So you can absolutely get away making gains without pain. Also, and where you've noticed, the longer, the more years you work out, you don't really get a sore after training unless you do something completely wild. But we've made progress, right? You can definitely make progress without feeling that soreness. So the soreness, like, and I get this from clients a lot. I'm not sore. Am I not doing anything? No, you're good. Put in the work. You keep putting in the work, getting better. You can make all the gains. You can never be sore and you'll still be good. So, and that we talked about that too, about how soreness isn't really an indicator of anything. But now I'm kind yeah. of thinking, is it bad to maybe get into those like painful zones? Because I'm kind of thinking about like, from a consistency perspective, where if I'm going in every workout and if I have like five drop sets of like chest or something, yeah. like that sucks. Like there's not a single human being who likes doing drop sets, dude. It's painful. It's not fun. It hurts. Um, and I feel like that would affect your consistency because there's no way you're going to be as mentally strong every workout to consistently put exactly. in all that effort for those five drop sets. So I'm kind of wondering, would it be more valuable to just like try to have as little pain as possible? Because that way you could be pretty consistent with every single workout if the, uh, you don't really have any of those pain um, and you don't have to really like battle through it. I think... Um... That depends on individual. Now, there are two types of clients or, or gym trainees or, or patients for that matter. There are those who um, are big wusses and cannot handle any pain <laughs> to any level. And then there are those people, and I think, Anwar, you're closer to this type, who would probably get very, very close or will injure themselves before they actually complain about the level of pain that they feel. And I think it's worth taking a moment to reflect on that or if you're working with someone to reflect on their personality type and see what that is because the people who are big wusses about their pain level you have to first be nice to them and then take your time ease them into it remind them that's okay to do a feel more and because they probably need to get closer they got to expand how far they're going now the people like you who amraps romanian deadlifts every time you hit the gym you know, then it might be like, hey, like, maybe you need to ramp that down for a set or two. So there is a sweet spot, right? Um, yeah, like the, the secret of training is getting to a point where you're getting a stimulus, but staying as far away from the point where you're going to hurt yourself, especially if you're recreational and not doing it as a sport like powerlifting or weightlifting. Oh, dude, I, um, I'm trying to become more and more of a baby in the gym. Like, I feel one thing off, and I'm like, I'm done. Nope, not going to do another set. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, no, I, I'm trying to get more into that mentality because it's so true. Like, I think when you're young and well, – not even young, but when you're first starting out, you're exposed to so much of this, like – whole thing where like okay at the gym you're a warrior you got you gotta suffer yeah. you gotta go through and then 
it's BS. Like, <laughs> all you're going to do is get injured, even if you hit that weight or that rep. Like, you're just going to injure yourself and then get slowed down. It's just a, it's such a toxic mindset, too. Um, I mean, again, you should work hard. Working hard is super important, but, like, you should not be an idiot. <laughs> um, and that kind of brings me into it about, like, how do you find that balance, though? How much is too much pain? Like, we all know when you feel joint pain, you're done. Like, joint pain is, like, an immediate stop um, or at, le- at the very least drop down significantly in the weight of reps if you're starting to feel joint pain. Um, but for more muscular pain, how do you know when it's time to maybe slow down? Yeah, great question. So the biggest thing with... Are you, wait, sorry, are we talking about muscle pain or joint pain? Well, with, oh, well, actually, let's start with joint pain because from my understanding, with joint pain, as soon as you start feeling it, that's kind of like, okay, you're done. Like, let's go at, at the very least, drop the weight, drop the reps, or just stop that movement and do something else. Like, for me, joint pain is kind of like a red light, like you're done. Uh, but is that even the right way of looking at it? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think if you're an individual and you start to feel joint pain in your exercise, I think the safe thing to do is to just, yeah, just cut that off for the day. Um, there's some more complicated stuff when it comes to rehab where you actually need to have some pain in order to rehab from an injury successfully. Mm-hmm. Um now that's highly recommend that you actually do that with the with the help of a professional. It's telling you, but it is, in my opinion, impossible to come back from like a, like for example, if you have a, a, a severe tendon strain, it's pretty much impossible to come back and recover fully from that without loading it up in rehab with something that is painful. Mm. But rule of thumb, um, and this isn't a very like super scientific rule of thumb, but so if it hurts during the activity and it's moderate, that is generally okay. Uh, remember, the pain is not necessarily uh, associated with more injury, so that's okay. However, if that pain persists, you know, five or ten minutes after you do the activity, you start to ask questions, and if that pain continues to be exasperated the next day, then that then there we have a problem. Like then then you talk to your therapist and, and ask them hey, we did whatever, we did the leg extension that you talked about for my knee tendinopathy and I was hurting the next morning, that's when you take a step back and reset it. But let's say I was doing the leg extension and it did hurt a little bit in my um, patellar ligament while I was doing it, but after I stopped, it was okay, it actually cooled down, that's actually generally okay. Okay, so... All right, so if you do have a bit of an injury, you can kind of push it a bit um, for the rehab work to kind of get back to that normalcy of like the uh, of how it used to feel. But I guess if you didn't have any like pain in like let's say your patella, and then let's say you do a deep squat and it starts flaring up, um, should you continue with the squat or should you maybe just hold off? Yeah, it's. Um... You know, it's a complicated question. I think if you go in the gym and there's a little bit of soreness, I don't think it's necessary to... So I think the mindset you want to have is you don't want to instantly be like, oh, uh, we just can't squat today. I'd say there are some things you can do to alter your pain perception, right? Before you get to painkillers, the first thing that you can do that significantly alters pain perception is to get warm. It's getting colder out here. Weekly weather talk. It's getting colder out here. 
but um, when your muscles and joints and your whole body is warm, everything performs differently. There's increased blood flow that actually decreases stiffness and pain perceptions in your body. So first thing, before you stop doing your thing, get warm, right? Um, second thing is to see if there's anything around and up and down the joint that can be stretched, right? Maybe you can stretch your quad, your calves or whatnot, because um, those might be pulling on it. And then try again um, and see how it goes, right? If it hurts during and it's a very slight niggle and after you stop the activity, it's not there at all, perhaps you're good to perceive. Uh, proceed. If you do each squat and it just hurts even in between sets, you can't even straighten your leg while sitting down, then call it a day, right? Then it's, you know, there's probably something maybe a little bit more serious going on. Okay, that's really interesting. And yeah, I think you have a great point about the warm up, especially a dynamic warm up and doing some yeah. stretching too. Um, what do you think? And this is a little bit off topic, but I was seeing a video about this too, about someone was saying where it's like, if it takes you like 20 or 30 minutes to warm up to get ready for one movement, maybe you shouldn't do that movement. What do you think of that idea? So like, um, I think the guy was using the example of squats and he was saying like he's seen people who warm up and stretch for a squat for like 30, 40 minutes. And he was saying like, listen, if you need that much mobility work to do a squat, just do something else. Just do some lunges, do some other stuff. Like unless you're competing in this, like it's fine. Just do some other movements. What do you kind of feel about that? I think it is. Um, I think it's some pretentious bullshit, to be honest. <laughs> uh, well, here's the deal, right? Like, like if I want to do a squat and I think it's fun, I, I, I value the progression in it. I mean, who are you to tell me I can't spend 20 minutes to warm up for it, right? It's, um, yeah, I mean, hey, like pro athletes warm up for their events for 40 minutes. They warm up for an hour, right? It's, uh, and it's, hey, you got to do what you got to do to, like, you know, sometimes we don't, maybe we don't, not everybody picks an exercise because it's the most optimal thing to do, right? I don't necessarily think anymore that deadlifts are the most, like, I definitely don't think snatch and clean and jerk are the most optimal way to build strength and power. Let me just put yeah. that out there. I do them because I like to do them and they're valuable to me and it takes me 20 minutes to warm up for them and that's okay. Like, um, I think that's fine. I think it's a good goal to have to be able to do a deep squat from completely cold. It's good thing to do to be able to do a pull up from completely cold, but um, it doesn't have to be an absolute, you know, like it's not good to make people feel bad just because they have to warm up a little bit longer. You know, they, a lot of these, a lot of us like sit for eight to 12 hours a day. Of course we have to warm up for 20 minutes. We don't have all day long to do animal flow or whatever they're doing. <laughs> no, I feel you on that. I, I do kind of think that from a viewpoint of time management, because like if you do only have like let's say an hour at the gym and you're spending half of it just warming up to do your set of squats i would kind of then argue it might be more worthwhile to do like like an example is i love lunges like i yeah. and like lunges you don't really need much of a warm-up like you can do a few body weight ones exactly. maybe add in some yeah. weight and you're good to go so i kind of feel like from a time management thing I think, though, there is a value for not falling in love with a few exercises. I feel like you have to do these. Yeah, yeah. There's a there's a nuance to it, but... But yeah. I see what you mean, um, too, about, like, the pretentiousness exactly. about this, where it's like, okay, if you can't do an ass-to-grass squat right out of bed, why are you even squatting? Like, yeah, that's, like, a kind of a dick thing to say. Exactly, exactly. But I also agree with you. Like, if you... Also about being resourceful. If you don't have a lot of time, 
or if you know you're just hurting like your knees feel like complete shit then like yeah it's not gonna be worth it right and some days my knees feel like that and you know i'll do leg extensions or reverse nordics or whatnot like yeah pick the right tool for the for the day yeah and so that um kind of going back on topic about pain you did bring up some really um good things about the muscular pain and kind of gave a bit of a flow on how you should deal with it. Now I'm wondering about, I'm sorry, not muscular, about like the joint pain, but kind of jumping into muscular pain now, is there like a limit to how much muscular pain you should really go through? Like, should I do that quadruple drop set where I can't even then like lift my arm up without cramping? (laughs) Yeah, I think it's, it's, uh, it's okay to do, but I think one thing to think about before, so some people I know in the gym, they take every set to failure. Like, yeah. Amber, I, don't, I know you don't do that anymore, but some people do, right? And it, it's actually a, more common than you think. Like, if you go into commercial gyms, a lot of people are doing that. And I don't think that's necessary. And let's think back to what is the response that we get to working out, right? When we work out, we get a, if we do enough, we get a generalized damage and we get a generalized inflammation response that makes you grow, right? So... If you think about that, there's going to be a point where you can keep doing more and more and more and more and more, and that's probably not doing anything for you. If anything, it might mess you up so bad that it takes you too long to recover. So, you know, without seeing a person in particular, I think the general advice is keep that in mind. Think about what you're actually trying to do and use the super drop sets in moderation. They're kind of fun to do once in a while. I like to do them, right? Like, I definitely do them for like shoulders and triceps and and uh in the upper back but use them in moderation maybe one set at, if you're doing four sets do the set at the end really burn out because that does help good blood flow but in moderation for sure not every single set and you know i, I was actually thinking it's funny we were actually talking about this because a few days ago i was thinking about this i started doing some more yoga and at the yoga studio you know when you do like warrior two and you have your arms spread out yeah. like my arm, my shoulders get such a burning sensation. Like I never felt so much burning sensation than having to hold like warrior two <laughs> for like five minutes. Like that is that is painful. That's more painful than any drop set. And I was kind of like thinking, like you know, even though this is such a burning sensation and it is tough, um, I don't think you gain any muscle from this. Or like you gain very minimal amount of muscle from this. And also, I'm kind of looking around. I'm like, oh, I'm probably have the biggest shoulders here. But like, and all these other people are doing so much better than me. But it's like, okay, so you don't really gain that much muscle from doing just the burning sensation. Like you really do need to have that weight and that kind of signals. Like talking with you kind of like made those connections in my mind. Yo, that's a that's a perfect example. Yeah, stuff like that, right? Or you know, along the same line, like people who can do a plank, like people who just do crunches and they do like five hundred of them right um yeah same idea like you know maybe it'd be better off to do a hang leg raise for just 10 reps but that really created like a the right threshold of challenge that's a perfect example yeah and i mean again there's like there is huge value in doing these motions and even not for muscle building like it's not like you shouldn't do it but it's the idea of that for a pure muscle building perspective like the pain isn't really the key like it really does seem it is again the fundamentals progressive overload like just making sure if you can keep on getting stronger keeping good firm and all that stuff that really is the key um 
But yeah, no, I think with pain, we've covered a lot of the bases. Anything else you want to mention before we start getting into some of the strange? Um, no, I think that that's the key point on pain. Pain doesn't mean injury necessarily. And then also the amount of pain you have also doesn't amount to how many gains you're going to get. That's that's the summary. <laughs> you know, if you kind of think about it, that's like a really good message to hear because I think when people start going to the gym, they're all like, again, no one likes to feel pain. Oh, few people don't. Again, there's some people who really enjoy it. Um, I mean, you look at Durian Yates, his entire workout are just pain on pain on pain, but hey, it worked for him. Um, well, he only did one set though. So he, he had the right idea. He did it. He went hard as hell, but he only did like what, four exercises? in a workout so yeah you had the right idea yeah but i kind of feel like his like pain threshold is like far beyond oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah he loves that you know he's an uh he's uh like an endurance athlete now like he does like these super long cycling tracks and stuff yep it uh he had a change of mind Yeah, like, I feel like a lot of endurance athletes could be good bodybuilders because of that. Because I feel like you have low pain tolerance if you can do any, like, endurance spurt. Oh, straight up, for sure. Yeah, but anyways, um, kind of moving on towards a strain. So, before we kind of go into it, maybe, how would you define a strain? So, you mentioned pain um, as being kind of like the sensory feeling we get from a breakdown of tissue. But now, what would be a strain from your definition? Yeah, it's uh, a strain, like, it really is just, like, a step further um, in general. So, you know, where general soreness, you get a little bit of tightness, right? You get, like, what else? You get you get some tightness. It's, uh, it's a little bit harder to contract. You don't have as much force. And strains, if we say, if we call it three grades of strains, a grade one strain kind of looks decently close to to that soreness but now you have a lot like now you have some tightness that really is restricting you like i can't fully bend my arm even with my maximum effort uh but there's a there's some notable discomfort now grade two strain now you lost range of motion so if like if you've if you fully like even if you just like grab the muscle and you move it you just don't have full range start we're probably in the middle stage of a strain um there might be some defect like it might be like you know there might be a little bit hard or might be a little bit swollen grade three is very obvious um you would have heard a pop and like stuff is blowing up uh so i've torn my bicep uh distal bicep tendon twice so like pop and then like it's all hardened up so that's that's like a big strain but uh, essentially, the idea is it's uh, a strain will be more persistent than like the generalized sore- soreness. Like it will be there for longer, and the symptoms are more like notable. You will know that something's a little bit amiss. So, how would you distinguish between being um, having something strained and having something injured, or is it just that a strain is an injury, or is there a difference between the two? Mm, yeah. Um, well, a strain is technically an injury, like at, by the the medical definition of injury, every time you work out, you're causing an injury. We actually call it an insult. <laughs> like calling someone ugly. Just like, it's, it's a, every time you work out or provide a stress, it's an insult to the body. So, <laughs> all injuries are injuries. So, it's just like a graded thing, right? But it's that the question is where and when this injury starts to debilitate us. Like, a, as a side note, 
Um, most people by the age of 30 have some sort of disc degeneration. Um, so the space between your, your uh, vertebrae, there's a little jelly thing in between that, that uh, supports compression. That starts to degrade by 30. And like, well, I forgot the stat, but maybe half of people, like a good amount of people. But is it, debil is it debilitating you? Is it stopping you from doing the things you love? Is it hurting? At many times, no. So uh, you can call almost anything an injury, but if it's not debilitating, uh, you know, might not be too much to worry about. Man, that disc thing is, is interesting. We might need to have a whole fat patch physio fun fact about that later on, but I don't want to get too off topic from the strange. Okay, so it seems like the, so a strain, um, I think most people have probably felt it before. Like, I think you kind of know when you've strained something, and you m mentioned that good indicator about the l loss of range of motion. Um, so one of the th key things I think people try to do is how do you prevent strains? Like, how should you schedule your training? How should you actually have the mentality of training to prevent strains? And is an idea that most people get strains from maybe going too hard, like kind of going too, um, trying to get that extra rep, trying to go a little harder? Like, would you kind of feel like that's the mentality that leads to strains? Yeah, good question. So, um, so when we talk about strains, so the first thing is like what type of muscles tend to get strains because then then you can be more careful now the strains that muscles that tend to get strained are the ones that go across two joints so what an example of that is your hamstring because your hamstring goes past your knee onto your shin but it also starts from your hip so so there's the two joints right it's very long and it can do two different things, right? Remember last time we talked about can bend your knee and it can move your hip. So because of that, they're also explosive muscles and those muscles tend to tear easily because they're like, they're all long and stretched out and they, they perform a lot of functions, right? So your hamstring, your biceps, uh, perhaps your tricep, sometimes your back, those muscles can get strained. The best prevention, Anwar, you're right, is to... Um, not take your body past its breaking point. Like that's as fancy as the literature goes, right? A, a structure gets damaged when the stress imposed like exceeds its tolerance or its, or its strain point. So there's two ways you can prevent injuries. The first is to train smart. So perhaps with uh, compound exercise, we talked about this before, leaving a rep or two in the tank, right? With deadlifts, maybe it's not smart to work to max out every week. With with uh, squats, maybe it's not smart to uh, take your, each of your five sets near failure. That's the first thing to do. Train smart. The second thing to do is to prepare smart. Um, that means when you go to the gym, making sure your body is ready, right? Trying to actually sleep enough. Uh, trying to actually uh, have proper nutrition. Um, eating the right things that support your joints and your muscles, right? Getting protein in, magnesium, calcium, uh, electrolytes, all that stuff like that, because when you don't, your body is more vulnerable, right? A muscle on a tired body is very different than muscle on a fresh body. So being prepared um, when you go to the gym and also when you train, training smart, uh, leaving a little bit in the tank, not going past failure every single time, not being reckless with it. You know, I was thinking about it. I feel like the most time I strain myself is actually when like I kind of just, I'm tired and I stop 
thinking about my form and I just want to try to get the work over with. Like, yeah. it's kind of like, I feel like that's a big indicator. Like, but maybe bench press, like instead of um, keeping my upper back tight, I might just be like, you know what? I just want to finish this. Like, let's just quickly yeah. pump out a set. And then you just don't have the right um, firm and you just grind it out and you just mm -hmm. feel so shitty. So I, I definitely do feel like about maybe not being mentally focused and just, yeah, not being ready. Yeah. And, and the other thing, like, um, in your body, right? Because when you're, let's say you're not sleeping well, you're not eating well, like your body is like already in like a state of like, it's already somewhat in that state of inflammation, right? And it's also not as ready to repair. So perhaps something that you did where if you were fresh wouldn't hurt you, now you become more vulnerable to getting hurt. Like something that you'd usually be able to do could hurt you. And we've probably all felt that before. It's like, oh, that's a weight I can handle. Boom, next thing you know, you strain your back. And a lot of the time, that's the reason why. It's that physical preparation. So now let's say um, you are being a grade A dingus. You messed up. You're getting a you feel like a strain. Let's say in your hamstring. Um, yeah. Let's let's play this out. You get that strain in your hamstring. What should you do immediately? Like, should you just okay? I'm done with doing. So I'm not going to do any more hamstrings work right now. I'll maybe do something else, or maybe I'll just call it early. Or should you maybe continue as long as you don't feel pain? Like, what should be your game plan now that okay you know you messed up you're feeling a strain in your hamstring nice um that's a great question and uh so the answer to this is something that we learned at school and we call it peace and love <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's hear it peace and love okay peace and love so there's uh peace and love actually covers both like acute what you do right away and then also uh what you do a little bit later Perfect. but um I think the smart thing to do really uh, don't keep working out on it if you know it's already strained uh, because you, you don't know how hard it, it's strained and you don't want to cause more damage. Uh, you don't necessarily want to ice it and you don't want to use anti-inflammatories though because uh, we talked about, um, remember inflammation is the precursor to healing, right? So you got to let it, let the inflammation happen, but you want to make sure it doesn't get too bad. So how can we do it? Um, some simple ways. You can use some elevation. So when you go home, just like, you know, if it's your hamstring, just like have your legs at heart level or whatnot. Um, compression, right? Um, yeah, keeping things compressed because that, that will con control it from being too swollen up. Those are really the two main things to do. And then just protect it. Like, don't be dumb. Don't go and like, you know, like a lot of people, I think, start with a light injury. And then, then they're like, their friends invite them to go play soccer the next day. And that's when they really, really do it in. Uh, I really think the gym is a place that's rare to get horrific injuries, but I, I think it's what people do after. So protect the injury. That's the P part of, uh, of peace and love. And then elevate, avoid anti-inflammatories, compression. And the last letter here is, is educate. So like that, that's what we're doing right now is you should understand that uh, with the strain, it doesn't mean take anti-inflammatories. It's not bad for it to swell. You want it to swell up. That's part of the recovery, but you want to control that. And also just like, don't be a dumbass. Like it's, you, you gotta give it time to heal. And it's really easier said than done. Like me and you have probably like, there's like fear of missing out, right? We have limited time to go play and whatnot, but you do have to take it smart. Take that time off when you know you've heard something. So before you jump into the love, because I do want to hear about the love as more of, I guess, the long-term healing of it. Yeah. I do want to stop here because 
I think a very common thing people hear, especially maybe in online communities, when you do get a strain, is like, okay, um, hey buddy, rest up and pop some ibuprofen, um, some anti-inflammatories. And so now you're saying like to kind of avoid those anti-inflammatories and you're using the idea that you need to go through that inflammatory stage to heal. So I'm kind of curious about um, when should you use an anti-inflammatory then when it comes to injury recovery? Yeah, way more. So that's, that's a more complicated question. It's, um, I mean, the first thing is I, I would consult with, with someone professional who knows what they're doing there, but it's when it's at a threshold where it's like, like starting to get out of control like if if your leg is like becoming like a like a swollen like a ball and it's it's just you know you're just uncomfortable or you're in terrible pain like it's like you know it's like super debilitating um things like that like that's when anti-inflammatories become appropriate it's like it's like even though we're taking away from the inflammation and that's not ideal for recovery there are other things that play that are just making you so uncomfortable that perhaps that'll help and the other thing is that there is a threshold if you're getting way too much inflammation that that is bad, right? But uh, first, we do want to try to curb that by like elevating the structure and compressing first. But yeah, like sometimes you got to use it. Okay, so it's so I feel like people pop them. Like, I mean, I, I've been guilty of this too, but using them like M&Ms. Um, and so you're kind <laughs> of saying maybe like slow down on them. And it's more so it should be used in a special case than just used every time you get a strain or any type of inflammation. Yeah, yeah. And, and again, the education piece, just when you use it, just understand what's happening. So understand that, hey, if you need it for some pain relief, do it. But don't use it because, because I think a lot of people use it because they think it's good for them. Yeah, like they think they think oh, I have to use them. I have to curb the inflammation ASAP. So that's where it's like, I think people like aren't informed to make that decision. Like understand that no, this doesn't help heal the injury. If you have other great reasons to use it, then um, go ahead with it. So now, Pat, this might be a bit of a silly question too, but um, examples you always hear about certain foods being anti-inflammatory. And like example is, um, I like myself some turmeric tea and turmeric is known for doing a lot of anti-inflammatory. Mm-hmm. Now, is, is that such a minimal amount where it doesn't really matter? Because um, I kind of feel like whenever I hear about it, I feel it's a bit of a marketing thing or like just a, I, I feel like there's no natural amount that's going to be a huge impact to you. Um, I do believe in it somewhat. I think it's um, because the little things add up, right? Like, you know, compare like a, a a fried rice, fried chicken, candy, ice cream, <laughs> uh, beer diet to like generally uh, vegetables, sweet potatoes, you know, meat and like even like coffee and all that together. There, There's then a big difference in the amount of low-grade inflammation. And uh, one chronic condition is you don't want to be constantly in a state of of inflammation right because then your body is just always trying to heal something so you want to prevent it where you can and and you know if you're working out and trying to adapt certain structures you you want to inflame that so no i mean i keep drinking your turmeric tea but also understand that just because you're doing that doesn't make you healthy right away it's global changes right like it it's not going to undo all the 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 bottle of whiskey that you had in the weekend like you know it all works together so yeah, you got to think outside of one thing. You know, man, uh, 
the inflammation stuff is an interesting thing because I think we are so much like we're conditioned to think that inflammation is bad. Like anything that's anti-inflammationary is good for us. And so it's like, okay, um, why shouldn't I take ibuprofen like every day if it um this uh, breaks down inflammation? Isn't that a good thing? And so I think people can kind of stuck in that mindset. And it's really like, dude, this has been a pretty big um game changer for me because like I often go to uh ibuprofen right away when I strain something. So, man, you learn something new every natty news. <laughs> but um, I don't want to take too much of this. But that's this has been an eye-opening segment for me. But let's move to love. So, can you maybe talk about what the love is now of peace and love? Yeah, the the love is the the kind of the long-term aspect um, of yeah of, of this uh, process here. So, you know, you've done the initial part, and that's dealt with. How do we recover from the injury and L stands for load, uh, and this is you know this is this is what we do, right? It's uh, start to load up the structure. If it's a hamstring, you got to start first. You just move it, range of motion, get it back and forth. Then light hamstring curls, right? Then a little fast, then a little heavier. Then starting to move it a little bit faster. So um, it's a very simple concept, but hey, if everybody understood this, I think there'd be a lot, like there'd be a lot better. Uh, rehab going on because I think a lot of people just rest it and and here's the problem with resting you can rest your way back to a functionally um, working muscle but when you tear a muscle you tore it at certain point right so so and Anwar it's like kind of like a tire wheel right uh, if you if there's a weak point what happens it that will eventually cause the whole thing to blow up again now, when you injure yourself and you don't take the time to rehab and, and strengthen and get that bit stronger, what's going to happen? You're likely to tear it again. That's where load is like absolutely like so important. It's the most important thing you can do um, to make sure that uh, you don't have those weak points. Like you'll get scar tissue forming, right? Um, if you have a strain, and while we you don't actually want to get rid of scar tissue, but what you, what you want to do is you want to exercise the scar tissue, stretch it, strengthen it, move it so that it can adapt. And it, instead of being all stiff, like regular scar tissue, it can actually stretch and move with the rest of the muscle, be a coherent part of, of the structure there. So that's why you really got to load up. Yeah. And man, I, I remember listening before about a surgeon was talking about with hip replacements. Like, we're really good at doing hip replacements now. Like, the procedure, like, we basically perfected it. But the reason why after hip replacement people have a lot of mobility issues is because they don't do the exercises, they don't move, they don't do the homework. And yeah. so then it just gets all stiff and then they lose that range of motion. Like, he was kind of saying, like, we can do hip replacement so good nowadays, but in the recovery of it and loading it is what makes people not be able to move. Yeah, it's, it's um, you know, people don't take the exercise serious enough as a treatment. Like the exercise is medicine, like it's medicine. So like you got to do it. It's not done after the <laughs> surgery. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, um, and so... What about the OVE? What what does that stand for? Yeah, so that's like yeah, the the L everybody knows. We always talk about load here. O is literally optimism. <laughs> and, <laughs> and hey, it's true though, right? So it's like you know you ever get hurt, and the patient is going through so much more than just a strained hamstring. It's like I can't walk, I can't play my sport. You know, my hobby is gone. You're upset. So 
it is important to explain the situation. Like now we understand that, you know, having an injury doesn't mean you're going to be forever injured and understand that, you know, hey, soon we can start exercising it and soon we can, you can do stuff like, you know, exercise is done by the individual. You can do stuff to help you get back quicker, right? So um, that's really important. That ties to the education. The V part is vascularization. So when you tear uh, muscle fibers, uh, a lot of the capillaries and all those connections, they, they start to go with it. So um, doing like basic cardio, getting blood flow to the area um, is so important. That's why when somebody uh, tears a quad or a hamstring, like the first thing you see is those athletes, um, like, you know, at NBA games or whatnot, they'll be on the sideline, they'll be on the bike, mm -hmm. just chilling, right? And, and that's actually an important part. It's not very interesting, but uh, that vascularization is really important. And, and the last is, is exercise, like, you know, continue to exercise, continue to load up. And then, you know, eventually the goal is to get back to that activity that you like to do. Damn. Yeah, no, that's, that makes a lot of sense. And I think you're completely right about, um, the importance of optimism. Like, I think a lot of times when people get injured, they're like, okay, this is it. I'm done. I can't do this ever again. But it really is phenomenal about how well you can recover from um, injuries. Like both you and I have had um, some bad ones. Like I think I've talked about before, I tore my hamstring and it, it was nasty. Like it was hard to walk and all that. And like now I've had never had any hamstring issues since then. Like um, I've gotten much, much stronger than I was then too. So it really does show how resilient the body is and like how if you do take it seriously, you do the homework, you do all those exercises, even if they're silly, you can recover very effectively. Yeah, exactly. So all, all the other things tie into the optimism, right? Like when you're fully educated about too, like, you know, you know, when, when a patient hears, hey, you can recover, you will recover. Like this, you know, the history of everyone who's ever had a hamstring tear tells them they will recover. It, it's a lot better to, you'll feel a lot better about it too. Yeah, no, I like that, man. Peace and love. Dude. That's a good acronym. <laughs> yeah, yeah. God, it was, it was, uh, I've heard it before, but it was a lot of fun to talk about in class because it's something I, I do believe in a lot. It still blows my mind about the anti-inflammatories because, like, I've, I've heard that for so many, like, a decade I've heard that. And it's just kind of like, man, it's crazy about how you could think you're so well-educated in something and how you could be wrong. Yeah, and it's like, you know, my gripe with like medicine, it's like all this good stuff comes out. I mean, I've known this for like four or five years now because um, I learned it from school. But like, why doesn't the regular population know about this? They're the people who need to know <laughs> the the doc, like the doctors or, or the PT students. You know, by the time that your patient is, is in there talking, to you, it's too late. They already hurt themselves or they might never even tell you they're taking anti-inflammatories for it. So it's really important for everybody to know about this kind of stuff. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. And it's I think it's one of those things where, like, it, it kind of shows that you do need to talk to an expert, too. Like, I think a lot of times people have a lot of hubris, and you search stuff online, and you find, like, all this. But, yeah. you know, sometimes you do need to ask an expert. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Or they just have to make this knowledge more readily accessible. One true. Of the two. Yeah, true, true. Oh, I mean, man, dude, especially with, like, fitness information, man, there is this... It's such a crazy time. There's so much of it out there and so much of it is wrong. <laughs> yes, I agree. All right. Well, anyways, man, um, we're coming close to the hour, but uh, I think it's the very last thing I want to actually ask about is the idea of scar tissue. So 
from my understanding, scar tissue firms as you kind of go through like a healing from a strain or like a tear or something. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. And is scar tissue different than your regular like muscle tissue where it's like, is it like, could you have full range of motion even with a scar tissue buildup? Yeah, great question. Um, I'll try not to go on for like two hours here with it. So, <laughs> so uh, scar tissue is, is quite structurally different than regular muscle tissue. Uh, it's scar tissue is it's thick collagen fibers, uh, which is not the same as muscle tissue. They are inherently not that stretchy. Um, and it's your body's natural response to any massive injury as it create scar tissue that's part of the remodeling process that's part of the recovery process but what we can do with training is we can remodel it so um cells are very smart if you in like give it the right type of stress it can start to become act more like muscle tissue if that makes sense so rather than being like a stiff band it's like okay uh seems like we're gonna have to stretch so they start to become more stretchy so that's why loading at the right time is so important in injury uh, to make sure you become don't become stiff and if you do that you can actually recover from your injury you'll actually still have scar, scar tissue in that muscle but you'll be able to have full range of motion because you're able to help that scar tissue adapt to work with the muscle rather than just being the stiff band within it now let's say you you messed up and you didn't exercise and you didn't load and you didn't do all that good stuff um and you did have that stiff band of scar tissue is it too late for you or can you still work on trying to loosen it up? It can be mobilized. Um, it definitely can be mobilized, but it is harder. Like you have passed the golden period. And if you've had repeated, 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 like you have, like you'll see people that are, they are limited. Like there's a point where you, you really can't remodel it anymore or it's extremely difficult to. So that's why it's, it's key. If you've got an injury, like, as soon as like you're clear to do it, like you gotta start doing your mobility, um, or you're gonna, or you might have some permanent stiffness. All right, perfect, man. That's always a good reminder about just a key importance of mobility work. A really a a part that's always looked down upon in the mm -hmm. fitness world. But yeah, Pat, no, this was this was incredibly informative. Like I learned a lot from this. Um, we have a couple minutes till we hit the hour. Do you have any last things you want to drop? Any last wisdom bombs? No, I think that's pretty good. And we're looking to have some guests lined up soon. So stay tuned for those guest episodes. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, and again, thank you everyone for listening today. And yeah, be sure to call up 30 of your Natty News t-shirts. You'll be seeing a post about that very soon on Instagram. Anyways, hope you all have learned a lot about pain and strain. Hope you keep on making those natty gains and natty news out. Natty news out. Hope you all enjoyed this week's episode of Natty News. If you'd like to learn more, be sure to check out our website www.natty.news. As well, check out our Instagram, Natty News Podcast, and Facebook page, Natty News, if you want to get a bit more Natty information.